you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com the Around the NFL Podcast. Praise to the football gods. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined in a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Week one, Sunday night football. Whoa. Football everywhere. Mm-hmm. Football in the morning here in the West Coast. Football in the afternoon. Football at night. We are flying. Football streaming after uh, the Sunday night game for the first time. If you're listening to our podcast, you can check that out. That's on YouTube. But we're going to be doing that five minutes after the Sunday night game. It, it's a beautiful every thing. week, all season. It's the best week of the. It's the best week of the year. I know you. You know, two of you might disagree, but I think it's the best football. Oh, it's a good week, week for you, Greg. So then it's a good week for. <laughs> oh, everyone. we'll see. Every week's a good week for Greg Rosenthal when it comes to the NFL. Uh, Mark and myself, yes, another dark start to another dark year to come. Uh, we'll get to all that. And, um, uh, you know, looking at the landscape of week one in the NFL, you know, certain things that we kind of expected came to fruition in week one. The Chiefs would be unstoppable. The Dolphins would be completely stoppable. <laughs> Uh, Jameis Winston would be a sloppy, mistake-prone quarterback. The Patriots would do something distasteful. All these things. We expected these things to happen, and they did. But then there's the surprises that, you know, like the Titans would come out feisty, and the Browns would come out drunk. Lamar Jackson would come out like the 2019 answer to Patrick Mahomes. Making the leap. I mean, this this is the excitement of a new season of football because the, everyone thinks they know everything, and then the games start. And here we are, Wes. None of us know anything. We say this every September <laughs> 8th or whatever it is. So here we are. Mark, you have anything to add? I, I know it's, it's, it's been a bad day. No, you know it's what? It's been a bad no, day I, as a football fan. At one point it's, today, you said you were a Bengals fan. I, they kind of won me over for a brief moment. I heard moment. some Gio and Bernard then, whooping and then they at lost point. Me. Then they lost me. But um, <laughs> I... I, I think it's a it's a perception changing week and the Bengals are part of that for me. But then week two tends to, you know, bring us back to earth on a couple things too. So I'm not ready to make any final conclusions. It's a, long, make some it's a long season. That wasn't even Mark's best quote. 
Which what what was Mark's? I don't even know. I don't know what Mike. Dan said Mark's not dead. You thought he was dead, but he's not dead. And Mark said under his breath, "Not on the outside." <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, you know, some things great. feel different. Some things feel very you know, uh, unoriginal and very similar to other years. You know, in Jaws, when Brody and Quint and Hooper they're all under the deck and they're comparing the shark bites and injuries. That was Mark and I after the dust settled <laughs> on the early games where. The, the Browns, and again, we're going to get to it, lay an unholy egg at home, losing by 30 points to the Titans of all teams. And then the Jets do what the Jets do, which is drop a absolute heartbreaking, disgraceful meltdown in the, in the third and fourth quarter. Um, these are two injuries that are going to take some time to scar over, uh, Mark. Until they play each other next week and one of us sinks into a deeper morass. <laughs> that, that, that was the time of the day where you guys seemed like less excited about the Marlon Mack 12-yard run I was honking about. In the <laughs> yeah, didn't Greg somehow found a way again to not emotionally connect with Dan and I on a football Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. I don't have to pretend like everyone died. It's a football game. We're moving on. Oh, it must be easy football. to be you, Greg. Other football. It must game. be easy. I'm enjoying the other game. All right, so we got all these games to get to, and we'll close the show, of course, by digging into Sunday Night Football with Greg's throne of ease Patriots against the Steelers. Uh, so let's get going. And where do we want to start? Why don't we start with, yes, those unstoppable Kansas City Chiefs. Four-man front for the Jaguars. As Mahomes holding it, firing it late, caught at the 40. Now 45, 50 in the open field at the 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City, Sammy Watkins, a 67-yard touchdown, right out of the gate, and the NFL MVP already gets more touchdown passes in this game than he did all last year against the Jaguars. <laughs> there you go, Mitch Holtis. He's got that week one excitement for the Chiefs radio network. Patrick Mahomes threw for 378 and three touches, all three of his scoring strikes to an unstoppable Sammy Watkins. And the Chiefs open up their season with a dominant 40 to 24 win over the Jaguars at the uh, chlorine tank. You know, this was a, a worst case scenario for the Jags. I watched this game and, you know, they get their defense worked over in their own building. You know, they got people in their bikinis and in their swim trunks and their margaritas, and they're looking to enjoy the football game. They're looking to get excited about the return of the the dominant Jaguars defense, and I'll take an L there. I thought this was going to be a game where the Chiefs were going to have some trouble, but they had no trouble at all. In fact, I'll say this. The Chiefs, as crazy as it sounds, they roll up about 500 yards, and they still left points on the field. They, there were some plays that they missed. At one point, Patrick Mahomes tried a no-look pass to a wide-open Travis Kelsey in the end zone and airmailed it. Uh, there were a couple plays here and there that they missed, and yet they still roll all over the Jags. And for the Jaguars, yeah, not only do you get embarrassed at home, you lose Nick Foles, your free agent savior, uh, in the first quarter with a broken clavicle. He's going to have surgery. He's going to be out indefinitely. Uh, so just a total nightmare. The Chiefs feeling good. The Jags look like they're in serious trouble. So many big stories from this game. I don't, I don't know where to start, but Gardner Minshew coming in, going 22 of 25 for 275 and moving the ball, at least in the short term, was 
interesting. I mean, I would have never. It's ex- a very soft Chiefs defense by the time he was doing a lot. Sure, of but it wasn't the Jaguars offense damage. that was a problem. I mean, the Chiefs no. put up 17 points in the first quarter and then had the lead throughout. And Minshew was moving the ball from minute one. And then the fact that Tyreek Hill uh, had a serious injury in this game is going to miss multiple weeks. Almost another uh, is, is an afterthought. Uh, but that that's a pretty big deal for the Chiefs as well. I mean, I think, you know, Dan, you talked about things that are expected and unexpected in week one. And you know, I, for me, the, thing, the, fo- the durability of Nick Foles has been a beeline through his career. And, and, and he fits when he has to come in and patch a team and play three or four games in a row. But, he, you know, he's never started more than 11 games in a season. And when he was a starter, durability and injuries and a clavicle-type injury feels like a very Nick Foles-type setback to me. And the timing of it is so disruptive. And I don't look at the Jaguars' defense. This is You played a high-octane attack here. Uh, we can't just assume that they're going to proceed forward with the Jacksonville defense we've seen in the past. There were a lot of issues today. How many network TV recap shows on Monday will be rehashing the Eli to Coughlin speculation once again? <laughs> Rejoining wow. forces because they Ooh. lost their quarterback and, you know, it's Danny Dimes time in New York. Well, here's the thing. Yes, Gardner, uh, the name, by the way. Gotta love it. Gardner I mean, a rookie Minshew. sixth rounder coming way, in there. Gardner Minshew, two. Oh, the second. There, yes, it is Gardner Minshew, Roman numeral two. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yes, he looked really good. 22-25, two touchdowns. But um, this cannot be the Jaguars' plan. And I just have to call them uh, call them out here for maybe Minshew turns into the second coming of Tom Brady as a sixth-round pick. But Nick Foles has been injury-prone. And the fact that you entered the season with a completely untested kid who barely got drafted just speaks to a level of preparation by the organization that it's hard to get behind. And when you look at the Jags and that division, you wonder if they are in really deep trouble because if if Foles misses extended time, and you got to expect, well, none of us are doctors. Oh, well, Mark is. He doesn't talk about it a lot. I don't. But uh, you got to expect he's going to miss at least a month, but it's, uh, maybe two months. And by the time he gets back, it might be too late. Well, part of week one, the reaction is to find out what's real and what's just a one-week aberration. And I think you have to look at Jacksonville as the biggest losers of week mm. one just because they lost their quarterback. And they play the Texans and the Titans the next two weeks, so those are division games. I mean, they can look to some of the offense and see positive. DJ Chark, who did nothing for them last year, 146 yards. Chris Conley, they pick up, has 97 yards and a touchdown. You figure the defense will get it going eventually. I With all these week one games, and maybe we don't need to repeat this point more than once, I do, and everyone said it, the fact that none of the teams are playing in the preseason and it's so hot in a lot of these places, uh, including Jacksonville, I think it's a factor. I do think there are yeah. just things that are going to happen this week that it's hard to know what's due to fatigue or, or that, but it's a big factor. I would say this. If you're a Chiefs fan, you have to be excited about LaShawn McCoy jumping in 81 yards off 10 carries. And we've waited for Sammy Watkins to do this forever. Nine catches, <laughs> 198 yards and three touchdowns. We've seen games similar to this from him before, and then it go for 30 yards the next. He's got to stay healthy. He's another he guy. Well, well, we have Tyree to mention Tyreek Hill is so. out. They say for probably a few weeks. Um, he went to the hospital today. Yes. And we should mention we haven't done a show since he signed his long-term contract, which if you include the total deal is about $18 million a year uh, in terms of the new money. It, otherwise, it was a $14 million deal. I, I know we've seen a lot of surprising things, you know, cynical things. Since we've taped this podcast, this one hit me when it happened that it's one of the most cynical 
moves I've seen in NFL history. They basically looked at what happened with Tyreek Hill in his child abuse case, and they decided, and I understand from Tyreek Hill's side why he wanted to do it, and said, well, that's worth about a 30% discount on your long-term contract. We'll sign you now, but take take less money than, than would be market value. Of course he's going to take it. There's some talk he had financial problems, but I don't know. Like in a, in a, what's, the other, what's the other way to play it? Don't don't reward someone um, that's had this is off had his child taken from him. But once they bring him back, you know, that's not an option. They they he's see how this season plays out. Maybe wait for an you know, this was an offseason where a lot happened for him. Maybe have that play out. You have the franchise tag. I I hear you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can can you name three teams in the league that operate that way at this point? I I don't I don't think I think the Chiefs and in general, Andy Reid teams in general are going to take chances on, on guys with histories. I think they're a little more aggressive in that. And they, they saw an opportunity and they went for it. All right. Uh, we'll get more into that as the week progresses, uh, perhaps, <laughs> but let's move on now. So the big loser in the AFC South was the Jaguars. Let's take a look at a big winner. Play fake. Mariota rolling right. They're going to screen it to Henry. Man is blocked in the flat. A lot of room. 30, 40, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, and yes. so, yes, no flags on the field, 75 yards, touchdown, Titans, Derek Henry from Marcus Mariota, and just like that, an answer. <laughs> Mike Keith, Titans Radio Network. Marcus Mariota threw three touchdown passes, including that game-changing 75-yarder on a screen to big man Derrick Henry. And the Titans went into Cleveland and embarrassed the hyped-up Browns 43-13. to uh, We'll give the Titans their due in a moment, and I promise you, Titans fans, I know you're thinking you're going to get screwed over here. You will get your due. But we have to start with the Browns, who could not have looked worse in their most highly anticipated game in decades. Mark, what in the hell happened at the dog pound today? I think what happened is the Titans. This is a team that came in with a defense that was underrated last year and came in with more pieces. I think Cam Wake, as a pass rusher, absolutely ignited this defense up front. And they went against a piece of Cleveland's team that we were concerned about all through the summer, which was their offensive line. And Greg Robinson at left tackle, already a known liability, gets ejected for, as he's falling down, kicking a Titans player in the face early in the game. They, at at one point going into the second half, had five healthy linemen and essentially all of them playing out of position. They had to move Justin McRae to right tackle and Chris Hubbard to left tackle after Kendall Lamb, a fill-in for Greg Robinson, was ruled out with a knee injury about eight plays into being in the game. It was an absolute disaster. And if you want to look at the difference between last year and why didn't last year's offense show up and you add Odell Beckham and you add all this business, why aren't they the team that scored 43 points? Because the offensive line unplugged entirely and Baker Mayfield, as much as he has the skill set to evade tacklers and maybe work behind a less than stellar line, Last year's line did play stellar protection down the, down the stretch. He was harassed today. He was harassed into poor throws. I think the, te- the team also got down early. The Titans got in their head, and they tired out Cleveland's defense that last year led the league 
in giving up big plays, and they gave up big plays today. It took a little while for Derrick Henry to get, get unhooked, but he had a couple big runs that set up big first downs, and he had that 75-yard catch and run for a touchdown that broke Cleveland's spirit. 40, this was a Titans performance to remember. 43-13, though, is not just the Titans. This is a total meltdown, and here's the stat that will tell you that. Penalties, Cleveland Browns, 18 for 182 yards. So the Titans, and again, the Titans fans, you're going to get your due. But the Browns absolutely no-showed this game. I think I think Cleveland, and you know, it, Freddie Kitchens, after the game was asked about this, 18 penalties for an insane amount of yardage, the most since 1951 mm. for the Browns. And if you said, Can't hey, happen. If you said we're going to point back to some stats from 1951 for this year's Browns team, you wouldn't have thought it was that. And Kitchens did not have a great answer after the game. He said this wasn't happening in practice. They had dro- dro- every offensive drive in the first half was capsized by penalties, and every defensive potential stop was capsized by penalties. It, it, Jim Nance correctly called this the choppiest game mm. he had ever seen. Wow. And it was, I think Tony Romo sat there thinking, this was a great situation for the Titans, and Cleveland completely did not play up to anything anyone thought. It was an embarrassment. That choppiness was compounded, I believe, in the second half by the hit that Baker Mayfield took at the very end of the first half on his throwing arm, and his arm did not look right to me in the second half. That's not mm. – I'm not making an excuse for him. He did not throw with the same authority that he threw with. Well, he and I'll let you guys add to this, but he he left with his right wrist wrapped, and they said it's – you know, it's nothing overly serious. He said he's fine, but I've, I, that, we'll, we'll see if he's fine. He was another, wincing in pain during That's the another thing we all talked about leading up to week one. What could hold the Browns back if you can't protect the kid behind well, center? And Cameron Wake was a huge part of that. He gets three sacks. He continues to build his case, I believe, someday three for, sacks? The, for the profile pro, Safety. Fo- pro Football Hall of Fame, Boom. where you're going to have to include those CFL MVPs. And he's got Dean Pease now and Mike Vrabel have built up a defense where there's not superstars, but there's playmakers, especially at Kevin linebacker. Kevin Byard's a superstar. Now, yep. Malcolm Butler, you know, the, the secondary is a little deeper. I think there's a lot of reasons uh, to like them. And I think the curse, as our friend Dave Damashek would say, of supposed to, was in play here. When the Browns fans were booing the heck out of their team, and it was 12 to 6. I thought, like, that's that's maybe the expectations and everything that they were feeling and believing all offseason. The final score is very misleading in my mind. It was 15-13 late in the third. I mean, this wasn't a blowout for three quarters. I don't think it's misleading the, when the, Cleveland got forced into throwing passes. I hear what you're saying, thrown, but it's very no. rare that a team loses by 30 and, and gains more yards than the other team. That's what the Browns did. And the Titans, again. To their credit, they showed up and they balled out. And when you have a team like the Browns that has a lot of hype around them, that fuels the opposition. That's what happened in week one. Let's listen to Delaney Walker, the tight end, who had two touchdowns in this game. Uh, he was one of those players that was feeling very good afterwards. They sleep on us every year. What, I mean, what's new? I mean, that's a question you already knew. Um, but we like being under the radar. You know, they were who we thought they were. If you want to crown them, crown them. They still got to play football. And uh, today we show we play better football. I think this, if Mariota plays the way he plays today, and that is a huge if, I think this is the most complete team in that division, the AFC South, and I should not have assumed that the Browns would just steam the, steamroll them like I did. Well, and they, I think that it helps that A.J. Brown, wide receiver, they've got something in him. They, they, can, they look today like a complete offense, which has been missing in Tennessee. I, 
I, you know, I will say this thing. I don't know where most Browns fans are, but like, I, I feel like I've been trying to tell you all offseason that something concerns me about these expectations. And today, it's not that I thought this would happen this way, but in my mind, when you're thinking of possibilities... It's a really long season, though. There's got, Even in a good 10-6 and six season, you're going to have major ups and downs, and, and I think this team is going to be a wild ride. I, I would, just, I would point to the team with a shattered offensive line that has a lot of big, funny, interesting surprises down the road. No, no team, I think, has had a better better month than the Titans because they watch Andrew Luck retire. They watch Nick Foles get hurt. The Texans are absolutely right there, and they, they could benefit too. But but with this win and those injuries, that's huge. Arthur Smith, OC, Titans OC. <laughs> he is in that short list for coordinator didn't of the year. Didn't think you were getting Art Smith heat they when you said to coming. wrap it up, huh, Dan? Didn't feel it coming. Let's move on. Let's head to, oh, yeah. You know we love it because it gets crazy at Dignity Health Sports Park. <laughs> Single coverage, Keenan Allen out to the right. Eye formation, Eckler and Watt. Motion man from the left hash, Hunter Henry to the right side of the line. Hand off to Eckler. Up the field. Eckler in the end zone. Touchdown. Chargers win. Chargers win. Have a day, Austin Eckler. His third touchdown of the afternoon. And, and give the assist to Watt with a beautiful block up into the All hole. Right, nice that, read by Austin Eckler. And this one's over. That sticks. That move the sticks. We don't need his input here. We got the call from Matt Money Smith. Our boy, KFIAM, 640. Austin Eckler crashed into the end zone from seven yards out in the opening possession of overtime, clinching a 30-24 win for the Chargers over the Colts at fearsome Dignity Health Sports Park. The Bolts recovered after Jacoby Brissett brought the Colts back in regulation with a touchdown and two-point conversion to force OT. Greg, the Andrew Luckless Colts were looking for a feel-good start to their season, but the Chargers regrouped to close out a game they've lost many times before. They have a game where they fumble a punt late in the third quarter, where Phillip Rivers throws a fourth-quarter interception, where you give up a 24-9 lead uh, to Jacoby Brissett. You think this is the Chargers being the Chargers, but... When the, they won the coin flip, I thought they would win. I thought whichever team wins that coin flip is going to score, and it's mm. mostly going to be a touchdown. This game could have been in the 40s. Neither defense offered much resistance. Of the games that I watched today, it was the game that I felt I learned the least about both teams because I think they've just really played to expectation. I think they're both going to be really intriguing teams to watch. The Chargers' defense was a little worse than I expected. Marlon Mack ran for 174 yards. Adam Vinatieri missed three kicks, including a bunny inside 30 yards that cost the Colts seven points. Vinatieri in trouble? A bunny. uh, Yeah, don't they call that a nice little short kick? It's kind of like taking a haircut, kind of inside baseball talk. Like it. How many games I'm new to a the year? So. How many games a year is Vinatieri kicking on grass? That's a big difference for a kicker. Maybe he had an injury in uh, he's fifty the preseason. And he's kicked on grass, and a he few was times. he has one of these <laughs> he's that he has one of these younger. massagers, which I bought really late at night. One night, I just was inspired. Here we go. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh. One of these massagers that you, you know you really drill into yeah. your into, into your, your. He's into doing your. that throughout the game on his leg. That's a bad sign. So he he cost them the win. I mean, they would have they could have won the Let's game. Get back to this massager. What's I going would say on as Greg solves his desert <laughs> issues, he they replaced by late night shopping sprees. You know those, like, the Rosenthal family. You see the out. ads for him? Those hammers that just like they, oh they it's like painful. But uh, yeah, it's good. They on can the be back. more curious. I, I like really it. taking his throne of ease thing a little bit too literally. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, you know, Andrew Luck is gone. Jacoby Brissett's there, and he kept 
the Colts interesting, and they almost stole a game on the road. So I think he played really well. Yeah, not the feel good storyline would be that the he leads them to the comeback win and all that. They don't get that, but still, there's there's hope in Indy for sure. There was limited possessions in this game because the offense kept going back and forth. Brissett wasn't a superstar, but when it mattered, he moved them and. He had one throw on a third and long to Ebron, which would have cut the lead to two. And Ebron ended up dropping it when he hit the ground in the end zone. But it was just a money throw. And you see Jacoby Brissett make those type of throws. He was a little slow to make decisions here or there. But 21 for 27, 192 touchdowns and moved them when it mattered. And the line played really well protecting him and getting T.Y. Hilton off, Marlon Mack. So I think there was a lot for both teams to like. I'm a little surprised that the Chargers defense was was so easy. Yeah, they gave up like the 200 plus yards rushing is not what I would have thought. But every time I looked up, I thought Keenan Allen was making a great catch. And also, I, if you're going to have a game like this from their collection of backs, Austin Eckler on the ground and through the air winds up with, you know, roughly 150 yards. You got 125 on the ground for six yards per pop. Every game like this, Melvin Gordon just simply matters less and less because you're getting by. I am a little concerned. Six yards per pop. That was good. Pop, baby. See, good. that's inside baseball. That's I have some nice. terminology. Josh Jackson goes. Again, six. I'm new to the job. So Six for 50. You're right. I mean, they their offense looked you know, as good or better than they did all of last year. They were ready to go from the first snap. It was just the Chargers offense getting whatever they wanted. That would worry me if I'm the Colts. The protection for Phillip Rivers, especially on the, on the tackles, started to fall Trent apart Scott, two sacks. late mm. in the game. Uh, but other than that, Melvin Gordon's watching this, and I mean, there's no way they're going to pay him. You think he's watching? He's got to be watching. Oh, he's watching. He's in the wilderness right now. It It is uh, impactful to his future. He might be more... I, I don't... He, he might be more likely to get traded than return to the Chargers. I don't know. To who? Patriots. <laughs> Ninth round pick. He hasn't sabotaged his value enough yet. <laughs> Ninth round pick in 2074 when they extend the draft. <laughs> so salty. Let's go so on. On second and five from the 25, play action. Blocked from Tyron Smith. Deep middle in stride at the five. Walking in for the touchdown. It's Randall Cobb. The Sham God, Cowboys Radio Network. That Prescott threw for 405 and tied a career high with four touchdown passes. The Cowboys rolled up nearly 500 yards on the Giants in a 35-17 win. The Giants scored the first touchdown, but it became very apparent very quickly that the Dreamers were badly outclassed. Wes, a lot to like about Big D on both sides of the ball in this one. Well, this was not your Scott Linehan establish the run and stay with the run offense. This was Kellen Moore getting creative with play action shots down the field, up tempo, spreading the ball around, very pass heavy offense in which Dak Prescott finished the game with a perfect passer rating. Michael Gallup, who, oh. one of my favorite breakout candidates, over yes. 150 yards. Amari Cooper, Blake Jarwin, Jason Witten, Randall Cobb all find the end zone. And most of the day, frankly, running wide open. And you wonder how much of that is Kellen Moore's play calling and how much of that is the Giants' defense, which is among the most talent poor in the NFL. But this has to be a best-case scenario if you're a Cowboys fan, especially with Ezekiel Elliott looking at least a step 
or two slower than normal, which is to be expected if they're missing mm. August. There are plenty of fans that they don't follow every single transaction and movement that a team makes in the offseason, and they roll in today, and they don't even know that Kellen Moore is maybe even the new play caller. But if you've been reading about him hey, behind the scenes... listen to our podcast, you chump. Well, that's true. Check in, please, in the in-between months if you uh, care to. But, I mean, this is a huge development. for. There were a couple quarterbacks today that I thought new coaching and new coordinator help flip the switch on him a little bit. And I thought Dak Prescott last year was an uninteresting watch. The entire offense was dull, totally different now. Well, it's not just Kellen Moore, whom some people have been calling a Sean McVay type of football mind. It's not just him. It's the guys like Michael Gallup or another year better. It's that Travis Frederick, your all pro center is back. It's that Randall Cobb is looking really good. Like he turned back the clock. Mm. He looked good. Jason Witten's back. And I know that, you know, you can time him with the sundial after the catch, but he even falls slowly now. It's like it's actually kind of cool to watch. Yeah, took flight and are starting to move. <laughs> Humanly intriguing. Did you guys, do you guys hear what what I was hearing there as Wes was talking? Just like put a shut it down. The team of Westiel has decided it's the it's Cowboys. He, he loves these Cowboys. I guess the Broncos are in there though. <laughs> Broncos but, are in but there, but the excitement that Wes has that his heart is open it's and real. it's full, and he's letting America's team in. Who would thunk it? What is the weakness with this Dallas Cowboys team? I don't see one. You know, you were very high on Dallas even at the end of last year, but especially almost erotically this year. so, which is a bit disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was even asking for Greg's thing that you bought the things on the, the side. Yeah, your leg. <laughs> I said it. Um, well, I don't know why, but. Um, um, no, it's this, like a hammer, though. On, on the uh, pain, you're pleasure. messing with my wires, Greg. <laughs> uh, met, uh, the Giants. It was kind of their season in miniature a little bit when you look at the final numbers. Saquon's going to get his 120 yards rushing. He busted off a 60 yarder early. He does some damage out of the backfield, so he's going to pile up yardage. And Evan Ingram's going to get his. And Eli Manning is going to flash occasionally, look okay, but then look terrible other times. And then in the middle of everything, it will always be about where's Danny Dimes, and he comes into the end of this game, gets a few snaps in, loses a fumble, completes three passes. Um, that's what this giant season is going to be about. I think it, there's nothing competitive. I, I don't think week mm. one's early to make such a statement, but th- that feels like what this season's about. one little sandwich note. When we talked about our group collective sandwich bet of when Daniel Jones would take the field, I had a two-parter, and part was that he would take the field in week one and then start in week two. I do think Eli Manning probably needs to take a bad step off like a city bus to not start next week, but there is time. I don't, Eli, think, I don't think Eli's taking a city bus ever. He was not a the disaster. Other problem. <laughs> they did not convert a third down until midway through the third quarter, but this was not like Eli holding the offense back. He, there are plays in which he looks like he's you know older than the General Sherman tree, but <laughs> – or Jason Witten. And, and I think you walk away thinking on a team like this, they're just wasting time with Eli Manning at quarterback. Like, the what, defense, what's the purpose? Unless the, 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 the story of their season is going to largely be about James Betcher and that defense, which does look so talent poor. And if it is one of the wor- two or three worst defense in the league, which it looks like it could be, it, it almost doesn't It doesn't matter. what that you, I mean, they put up 470 yards of offense. That didn't matter today. 405 yards passing, a perfect passer rating and a contract negotiation ongoing. Dak Prescott is in a very good place, and he has never looked better than he looked in this game. One minor footnote. Yes. Is it about uh, your sandwich propaganda? No, no, no. We don't really no, care. No, no, no. Well, I know you don't because it's it's trending poorly for you. Uh, so, of course, it would get less airtime. Is it? I don't know. But if it, if it, if anything trends less poorly for Dan, then it's, just, it, just it's go off on. the show. Go on, Mark. As Greg knows, when you grow the beard, sometimes you get a more of a rugged look, and I really like Pat Shermer. <laughs> 
what he's doing he looks right now. Good. And I will say he, he, looks, he looks tougher. He's already well built to be able to, but also let's cycle back. Frank Reich, someone's been working on him too. He's, he's mm. a lot of these coaches seem to be getting, they understand. You got to look it's good a, on that it's side. It's a, um, Pagano. Yep. It's a hotness renaissance for head coaches in the NFL. You look at the, I mean, head coaches in the 70s and 80s looked like human no. disasters. Wheeled out of like cardboard put, boxes. Who put, are these guys? Put like? police tape around the guys right. in the 70s. I won't even name them, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Now these these guys now, they're grizzled like Kevin Costner types. The next step is to go back to the Tom Landry era and let's get these guys in three-piece suits and top hats and all this other business. Let's just, let's stay in the top NFC. Hats. Let's Norris. change the topic because it's getting weird and move on to a different matchup in the NFC East. Wentz back. They got weird. Wentz steps up. Here comes they the look good. He is going deep, and it is caught. And in for a touchdown, Deshaun Jackson! Give the people what they want. Give them <laughs> some more D-Jack. Oh, it was down the right sideline, and Wentz put it up, and D-Jack cracked it into his hand. And the Eagles have an extra point separating them from the lead. The hero of December 19th, 2010, okay. comes up with another great play. All right, Merrill. Merrill Reese and Mike Quitt of the Eagles Radio Network. Oh, nostalgia. How beautiful it is. Carson Wentz threw a pair of long touchdown passes to Deshaun Jackson, including that one you heard. And the Eagles overcame a 17-point deficit to beat the Washington Redskins 32-27. Case Keenum looked good early on for Washington, but the Eagles woke up and took control. Mark, D-Jax is a star for the Eagles. Let's snuggle up under a blanket with some popcorn and watch Silver Linings Playbook. Turn back the clock, baby. Yeah, I mean, this game started in a very weird way, and I think it got on all our radars downstairs where the Redskins and under with Case Keenum running the show jumped out to this big lead. You know, against a team that I think in Philadelphia might be the best team in the NFC, potentially. You got the Cowboys right there, too, in that division. But it, to me, it's so strange when teams or when players, star players leave a team. He went to Washington, so it's a revenge game to some degree. Burned out there a bit. Went to Tampa Bay and essentially watched his career fizzle out because there's 4,000 articles wondering why he he and Jameis Winston... But kept making plays, it, led yeah, the league but, in but, catches, uh, yards per reception last year. Yes, but I would say that you did not get the full Deshaun Jackson no. in, the, in Tampa Bay to the point no, where last year there was trade rumors and all this other business. Hits the scene today, and it's like he just simply dialed us back to 2010, and it's electric. It's Andy Reid back in the house, but it's not. It's his protege. And I thought this his performance changed the game entirely. Two long, deep shots that essentially woke up the Eagles offense, and there were a couple throws in this game by Carson Wentz that reminded you he was great last year, but that he's all the way back. The way that he can throw the ball on the move and they got just enough from their ground game. And in Washington, you know, they could they they felt like the team that game planned very well and got some nice play from Case Keenum. And I think I even said to Greg around halftime, this feels like the game where you're going to get the comeback. The Eagles were primed for the comeback because they ha- they didn't get unhooked early on. But the Redskins, all they needed to do, I thought, is that they could, like any team with a lead, control the ground in the third quarter and get to the fourth quarter with that kind of a lead and make a couple big plays. Darius Geis, 10 carries. 18 yards. You didn't get enough from Chris Thompson. They became a one-sided offense in the second half. They didn't get any big plays, and I'd be concerned about them going forward. But they showed up in this game. They did not lay an egg the way that we thought that some teams would. 20-7 to at halftime, to me, was the most surprising thing that happened in the entire day. That the Reds I agree. It was a very odd first in half. In Philadelphia, they, the Redskins lost Jonathan Allen pretty early in this game, which I, you know, has to be big for... If they're team is going to surprise at all. 
I mean, their defense has to be better than average. And so to give up a lead like that has to be pretty disappointing. It all it all counts the same in the end. Like whenever the Eagles are fighting for the wild card or the, the division race at the end, they can't afford to lose at home to the Redskins. So it's a big win. And the Redskins did not have Adrian Peterson to help them nurse that lead in the second half because he was inactive. <laughs> And after the game, let me read this quote from Jay Gruden, who was probably a little bit annoyed after getting beat and then being asked why all day wasn't playing. He's a first and second round back. So is Darius. So really, what do we have about 20 first downs a game? Probably eight of those are passes. Twelve of those might be runs and Darius can handle those 12. So if we have a game when we think we can run the ball 55 times in a game in an I formation, then sure, I'll get him up referring to Adrian Peterson. The writing is on the wall. Adrian Peterson <laughs> will be on the Patriots in T-minus 24 well, hours. Well, and I think it, we talked about... It, 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 it did it not points, need him. It points Turn to the back fact the that clock. Jay Gruden probably did not want to go into the season with Adrian Peterson on the roster, and he has no control well, over the roster. Well, doesn't that sound like he's, he's taking shots at... Someone else in the organization yes, 100%. that prefers to be running I formations. He's like, let me run. He doesn't my want team. Adrian Peterson on this he, team. It's it's so apparent. It's Bruce Allen. I mean, he does he want? I don't know who he wants on this team though. You know, there we he said a quote about his brother. Uh, I think on the uh, previous show that is he one of those guys that just. Uh, not his brother, that hates all his quarterbacks. And it's like, is Jay Gruden one of those guys that's like doesn't like his players? I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of – you always hear a lot of things in Washington. About Bill O'Brien we were talking about. Bill O'Brien, yeah. that's right. I still think Jay has coached better than, than you would expect for, for what he's been given over the last half decade. I agree. Carson Wentz, MVP watch. Get on the bandwagon. I would. I thought the Redskins. You look damn good in this game. The Redskins, Terry McLaurin, their rookie receiver, 125 yards. I mean, they, yeah. they have they have a couple players that they, there there were five rookies playing on this team that contributed well. So there's something to build. They're not the Dolphins. They're not. A, they're, there's something going on here that is promising. All right, let's get this over with. <laughs> Josh Allen alone in the backfield takes the snap. Looks down the middle, looks left, looks for John Brown. Gets separation, makes the catch at the 10, into the end zone. Touchdown! There's a flag on the play. Touchdown, Buffalo. John Brown got separation, but a flag thrown by the deep official down there at the 13-yard line. And they're going to call defensive pass interference. We're going to decline it, and the Bills are an extra point away from taking this lead. All right, John Murphy and Eric Wood of the Bills Radio Network. Eric Wood from my high school, Elder in Cincinnati. That doesn't matter. Wes, too celebratory. <laughs> Not today, Wes. We'll talk about Eric Wood another day. <laughs> Josh right. Allen connects on a 38-yard touchdown pass to John Brown. Three minutes to play. The Bills overcame four early turnovers to rally, wiping out a 16-zip second-half deficit, crushing the Jets, the old Zeuser, Keith Hansis, and everybody else at the Meadowlands. 17-16. New York was in complete control of this game. Uh, that is until stud middle linebacker C.J. Mosley exited the game in the third quarter. The Bills scored on each of their final three possessions with Mosley on the sideline. And uh, i got to be fair. Adam Gase and that Jets offense that I'm excited about and so many people are excited about was not able to answer the challenge. Uh, just a horrendous loss for the Jets and an amazing way to start the season for a frisky Bills team. That will be playing. I, I sincerely believe this. Will be playing meaningly, meaningful football after Thanksgiving. Let me ask you one question. I, I was seeing reports that Devin Singletary wasn't even on the field until like 
midway through the third or fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden the Bills were moving the ball? Was he a big factor? That will change, yes. He had nine touches for 98 yards. Every time the ball was in his hands, whether it was a handoff or as a receiver, he was making guys miss. And Frank Gore, we all love the inconvenient truth, and he'll he's fine as a change of pace guy and maybe near the goal line. But Singletary needs to be part of this offense more. Um, and I, I cannot stress, when you guys watch this on Game Pass, look at the difference in this game uh, when C.J. Mosley is in and when he's out. Because Mosley played as good a game on defense as I've seen a Jet since peak Revis. He what was, was the injury? Is it he... was a groin injury. I don't know the severity of it, but it came out of the game in the third quarter, and that was it. And they just sliced him up. He's also the defensive play caller. Uh, and it did... This game, to me, um, from a Jets standpoint, two uh, ghosts of Jets past and Jets present that conspired to blow a game that you can't blow and might just might just ruin their season. Uh, I'll get to that at the end of uh, this discussion. But um, they don't have any depth on this team. So when something like a Mosley goes out, someone like a Mosley, and they have good talent, they have frontline talent on both sides of the ball, and when you look at the Jets, like, oh, I could see where this team... You know, they can make a run, but if if that goes awry, if someone goes down, they just don't seem to have the depth, and it happened in the secondary, too, in this game with injuries, uh, but mostly in the middle in this one. And then, so that's on Mike McCagnin. That's the ghost of the past. And then Joe Douglas, who everyone that loves the Jets is excited about Joe Douglas, as am I, but they've botched this kicker situation so badly, and uh, Carrie Vedvik misses an extra point after a Mosley pick six in the first half. He it's not a great snap, but misses a 40 yard attempt at the end of the first half. The Jets lose by one point. Do the math. So it was a very Jets loss crushing. I, I can't tell you how crushing this loss was. My dad uh, on text, he texted to me and my brother, Kevin, and my brother in law, Keith. Um, he said, I, I just can't take it anymore. My dad has oh, never wow. texted like that. that but is... th- that was the nature of the devastation uh, after an offseason of hype. And that's where I, mean, I think there was more hope in, coming into this week one than in a long time for your dad. I, they had a chance to seal this game late and the drive fizzled out where Sam Darnold in this game. Do you feel like he is showing you something or is there more more to go here? Darnold and Adam Gase was pretty upfront about it after the game. He said there were things for improvements to be made by Darnold, but. He was never comfortable in this game because the offensive line got worked over by a very good Bills front seven. I don't want to take away from the Bills here because right. um, Josh Allen, who had four turnovers in the first half, two, two fumbles, including uh, a botched snap on a fourth and one, two interceptions. Uh, but he pulled it together, made big time throws in the second half during that comeback on those three, three drives, scored a touchdown with his legs, which we know he's going to do. And the, the Bills defense, when it came time to lock it down and to get stops, to get them back in the game, and then the Jets got the ball back with three minutes to play, down one point, and struggled. They needed four downs to get 10 yards in one inch and then went four and out. And that, and that is, yes, Adam Gase's offense needs work. And again, week one without preseason and all that, the offensive line, that's something to keep in, keep in mind. But the Bills defense really won this game. Yeah, I'm excited to watch this game more closely. The Bills defense I bet you is, are. is where we've been talking about it all offseason, how good this Bills defense could be. But it's really hard to lose a game where you win the turnover margin plus three. Seven I mean, times you have to, in 20 seasons. You, you, you have to uh, 
be miserable offensively. And they were. They were as bad as the Bears were the other night. They were as bad as any team really in the league was. They averaged 3.4 yards per pass. So whether that's the line or Darnold or Gase or all of the above, I think everyone takes blame on this. That, that's, you just can't, you can't win a game where you're averaging 3.4 yards per pass. It's a cruel twist of irony that the man who staked out kicker corner before anyone else was paying attention to this crucial NFL position is now being undone by that is that is the nature of being a Jets fan Chris Wesley all these ironies they are always cruel and they come down upon you like an avalanche and I just have to live with that Le'Veon Bell by the way it should be noted he was not the problem he didn't have a monster game but he looked like Le'Veon Bell you'll see that when you watch the tape and he also had a touchdown catch and a two-point conversion on a beautiful scramble and toss by Darnold what, count how many times, if you do a shot, you'll get drunk and end up in the hospital. So don't do that. How many times the Jets throw short of the sticks in this game? I think it was a product. It's an Adam, mo- Adam Gase staple. It, yep. I mean, if Adam Gase has be- a reputation, it's way too many short passes and a lot of throws short. But he was hired to correct that issue. From I Boston. wonder, though. I wonder because the, Darnold did take a lot of deep shots last year under a terrible offensive coordinator. Um, I, I wonder if there were such concern about the ability to protect him, that that was part of the game plan. Didn't work, Uh, but we'll see in week two when the Cleveland Browns come to the Meadowlands on Monday night. Why does it have to be this way, Mark? I don't know. Let's move on. (laughs) Third down and three from the Ravens 17. Mark Ingram sets to the right. Jackson wants to throw, has all day going deep down the middle of the field, looking for Hollywood Brown. He's got him! Dolphins 30, leg race 20, and he's going to score! Hollywood Brown, his second touchdown on his second catch in the NFL. Oh, my God. 83 yards, and the Ravens are on fire. (laughs) This is not an evolution. This, to John Harbaugh's words, is a revolution. Revolution. Nailed it. Hello, Hollywood. Jerry Sandusky and Jarrett Johnson, WBAL, with the call. Lamar Jackson destroyed the Miami Dolphins. The South Florida native tied a franchise record with five TD passes, and the Ravens waltzed to a 59-10 win. This is the NFL at the stadium formerly known as Joe Robbie. Greg, this was an outrageous mismatch from the jump, but you know, let me now get out of the way. You can do your sexy man dance to your boy Lamar. <laughs> Are we watching wow. the 2019 version of Patrick Mahomes? Is this his blast off into an amazing year two? He's so unique. I wouldn't compare him to anyone. Uh, I, I didn't know you think I'm sexy when it's, I do it a, is a little dance. Highly erotic. I mean, it like was. You're, you're attempting sexy. It was as a, it, I, that was, I'm definitely not attempting it. It was as sexy a football game as you could. This is a weird podcast. As you could have because they, they get out there and I give their entire organization so much credit for coming up with a plan to build around Greg Roman with running backs with Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. And then the speed that they have on the outside first play of the game is a Mark Ingram, 49 yard run. The the next run is an 11 yard run. Uh, They have a direct snap to Ingram in that first drive. The long touchdowns that they had are set up by the play action because they're, they're, bringing a second safety down into the box. They're only having one deep. Teams are saying, beat us deep, Lamar Jackson. We dare you. And everyone's going to be honking that, okay, this is the Dolphins. Fair fair point. But the throws that Lamar Jackson made are beautiful throws against any NFL competition. There were a few tosses into a bucket over the top of the defense, one to Mark Andrews, uh, the touchdown that, that we saw to Hollywood Brown, even this first touchdown to Hollywood Brown, he hits him right in, st- slide on, uh, in stride on a slant, 
Everyone played about as perfect as possible. It was a smart move by them to schedule, you know, UC Davis for week one. They'll have Ooh. to play like a Division One competition later. But this, <laughs> you know, it's a nice little win, 42 to three at halftime. Let's hear from Lamar Jackson, who, of course, there's been a lot of made of, uh, oh, yeah, he can run and, and he made some plays as a rookie. But is this guy a complete quarterback? Well, he was feeling himself after the game, as he should be. Uh, do you think you uh, people that you were throwing the ball? This Probably not, but not bad for a running back. Oh, but yeah, um, offensive line did a great job. Um, I didn't have, I barely had pressure. Um, receivers did a great job of getting open, catching the ball, scoring a touchdown. That's what it's all about, and that's what we did today. That's, mm. that's how you make people shut up. He's got so much. I think he's just got that confidence that makes people around him like him. And if he has more performances like this, I mean. I don't know. Here's my question to you. It's too exciting. Were the Ravens so impressive in this game that we should, that I should make them or Mark or whoever the number one game pass choice despite mm-hmm. the presence of the miserable Dolphins? I think so. I think, th- this. I, I think that they made a blowout entertaining. I mean, it, at halftime, it's 42 to 3, and, and by then the game's over. But, yeah, there were so many great plays. Mark Andrews, Justice Hill. I mean, there was a lot to kind of unpack. Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas with a big interception. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick had no chance in this game. The The Ravens' defense played almost as well as the offense. They outgained them 643 to 200. What? At one point, it was, thir- oh it was three, 300 to 50. And Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's a disgrace. He actually, I honestly thought Ryan Fitzpatrick, and maybe I have to watch the game a little closer. I thought he played kind of well. I really did. And like the, and and that's how that's how bad the rest of the Dolphins were. I think it's a it's a great sign that you could get this kind of a game from Lamar Jackson and the offense when Lamar Jackson is not facing a lot of pressure. And Dolphins are not. When you're putting up 600 plus yards in the NFL, yeah. and this kind of outpouring of points, it was halftime. They put up 42. Cleveland's getting buried. And I just start to think to myself. It is time to shift towards personal goals and away from the achievements of other men because <laughs> this is not working out for the vicarious person watching television you know, right it's, now. It's going to be a start taking night. a ton of HGH, start lifting, just get don't jacked, just become a totally different person. I mean, why? I, I don't working. know if athletic goals are the personal <laughs> I don't, ones at you this should point, really go just, after. This whole thing—it's like you, it is a vast joke, but the but the Ravens about—I don't know how you could author a more dangerous, it, compelling start. The Dolphins, I mean, it's just, it's terrible. And sleepless nights for Gloria Stefan, all of the Miami Sound Machine, and the rest of the ownership group. I mean, this is the type of situation, it cannot happen. You can't have your team get to the point. I don't care about your organic fish tank. You cannot let it get to the point where you have people pay to see your team and come to your stadium. And then you're down 49 to three early in the th- third quarter. What are Josh that Rosen can't play the third happen. quarter, by the way, they, yeah. that's not any hope. He's you, not starting. You are going to play a lot of third quarters. It sounds like your number one goal as an organization. You cannot take hope away from the fan base. And I've said that over the years about my jets. I've said it about your Browns, Mark, you can't do that. And you could fish tank and, and maybe in a couple of years end up being good. And then everybody will look back and say, that was the right move. I don't buy it. I don't think this is how you run a sports team. I hate this trend over the last half decade that the only thing that matters is putting yourself in the best position possible to ultimately win a championship. That's not the only thing that matters. Only one team per year can win a championship, and maintaining your fans' interest throughout a season matters. Playing interesting football matters. It's worth something. It's People valuable. pay good money, the money that the, even things they can't afford to come see you. You can't put this out there. Be Brown, better. Brown, Browns fans that, that – 
The issue, though, is Browns fans, I think, would disagree. Right? I, I, no, 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 no. I'm not saying it doesn't work necessarily. But you guys can go ahead. Go. No, I'm saying the Browns have not guaranteed themselves a championship by tanking. No, but they're happy they have their no, quarterback. No, but Steven Ross. You don't have to tank to rebuild. Yeah, that's you do not, I, Teams I for a hundred years have been rebuilding without tanking. This isn't the NBA. I, I, I have no problem, though. And it, th- this is a disaster after week one for the Dolphins. With trying something different in the NFL, especially for certain teams that have struggled for decades, and that is the Dolphins. They've, they've really never been a remarkable team. I like the idea of trying something different in terms of team planning. My problem is that you're asking a coaching staff and a flock of Poor players who aren't here for the full rebuild. They're going to get rid of half of these and players that are being asked to toil week to week. It's, it's not a personal goal. It, you're, you're involving hundreds of people, and it's a big ask. My old boss, uh, Mike Florio, reported that agents, plural, received you know texts and calls from their players after this game saying we they want, want out. out of It's money. embarrassing for that's, them. That's not how it should be. And it's, I'm not putting that on the players. I'm saying you've created such a bad situation that that's how your locker room is. I mean, it's what it's happens tough. when you I trade feel bad for handsome for Hank. Julian I feel bad Davin. for Dolphins fans. It's what happens when you trade for the te- the guy who was like the couldn't be the le- Texans left tackle and just put him in your lineup in week one. All right, let's move on. Second and 10 from the Falcons, 19. Dalvin Cook is the tailback, feeling in motion to the right. Now in motion, back to the left, handoff Dalvin. Sprints out to the left. Gets a block from Thielen. Walks into the end zone. Touchdown! Dalvin Cook with the Vikings' second touchdown today. And it's 13-0 Vikings. Paul Allen, the Vikings radio network. Dalvin Cook. Went off for 111 and two touches. Kirk Cousins threw the ball just 11 times. And the Vikings defense handled the rest. They dominant 28-12 win over the Falcons at home. Uh, Anthony Harris had two interceptions and a fumble recovery for the Vikings D, which had no problem shutting down Matt Ryan, Dante Freeman, and the rest of the Falcons offense. Wes, after last year's disappointment, this had to be an ultra-satisfying start for Skull. Yeah, Cousins only throws it 10 times. And after the game, Adam Thielen says that Dalvin Cook, you're seeing that he's not only a great running back, he might be the best one in the league. The best. I don't know if I'd go that far with Zeke Elliott still in the league and Saquon Barkley, but Dalvin Cook has looked since preseason started like a different running back this year in Gary Kubiak's scheme. I think it's perfect for him. This looks like a different offense. And the defense looked phenomenal. They the Falcons couldn't do anything. Mm. A miserable game for the Falcons, who Caleb McGarry, the right tackle who missed most of August, um, just looked about three steps too slow to be dealing with Daniil Hunter. Uh-oh. They rotated him with Tyson Brallow. And it's to be expected that a rookie's going to look slow against Daniil Hunter, who's one of the fastest defensive ends in the league. Uh, and then their other rookie, Chris Lindstrom, first-round pick. After the game, Jay Glazer reported that they fear he fractured his foot. Oh, no. So you've got the biggest question to me about the Atlanta Falcons going into the season was their offensive line. And it's an even bigger question heading into week two. Tough week one ask to go to Minnesota and face this veteran defense. But I, I'm sort of floored that they didn't score until nine minutes left in the game. Like the Atlanta Falcons under Matt Ryan. I don't know. Like how unusual I, I can't. I, did Matt Ryan look like Matt Ryan turnovers, turnovers, but turnovers caused by pressure. I mean, Matt Ryan did not look like the best version of Matt Ryan. No, it it was not a good performance. And Xavier Rhodes, who, Greg, you questioned because he did have a bad year last year. That's fair to say that. But he shut down Julio Jones today until garbage time. I mean, this feels like a Mike Zimmer 
dreamland fantasy from outer space. Like you're you have your quarterback throwing the ball ten times. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't know if that's what Kirk Cousin w- wants, but he's got to like it a lot better than what was happening last year, where he was running for his life and there was no flow to the offense. That he hasn't thrown that few passes since Pop Warner. Well, Kyle that's Rudolph. That's a lot for Pop Warner, by the way. Ten is that's an air raid for Pop Warner, but Kyle Rudolph after the game again, another elder high school graduate. Panthers. That's fine. Wow, uh, there's a lot. Said we're going to celebrate the NFL's hundredth year by setting the game back a hundred years with our offense. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it worked today. Is that is that what it's always going to be like? No, You're but Cousins. You, hey, Dan, you you called this a top five, three, or one offense. Yes, I did. And uh, you know what? I think they kind of went into cruise control. It seems like from a, a distance. Oh yeah, this once game they got to twenty-eight. This game was in hand in the first half. What about Devonta Freeman? Not just it was at a. Baked into all the other issues. He had a bad fumble, and I do think that the offensive line was such an issue. And you're playing a good defense, too. I, I didn't get enough of a view of, of Devontae Freeman to make any grand proclamations about how he looked. All right, let's move on. Play clock at eight. As Goff takes a shotgun snap, looking left all the way. He throws to the goal line. He's got Tyler Higby. Touchdown, L.A. Goff and Higby with contract extensions this week. Connect for the score. With 6.37 to go, it's 29-20, L.A. That's our boy J.B. Long of oh, ESPN yeah. 710. Good okay. dude, Wes's neighbor, and plugged in. He's not the guy that shows up with the lunch pail on Sunday and doesn't know what happened the six days before. No, he's on it. Jared Goff connected on a touchdown pass to Tyler Higby. Goff's only scoring throw on a quiet day. And Todd Gurley flashed when the Rams needed him most in a 30-27 win over the Panthers in Charlotte. Greg, uh, Gurley didn't carry the load for the Rams on Sunday, but this was still a positive for a running back who needed one. It was so positive. I think the Rams couldn't have drawn up a better win because you go on the road, you beat a really good NFC team, and you do it by pounding the rock late, which I know they want to do. They had 166 yards. They face some adversity. They give up uh, a lead that looked to be in hand, only a three-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they give the ball to Todd Gurley, who didn't look great in the first half by any means. Uh, the running game, their offense, everything looked like they hadn't played in the preseason. But Gurley ripped off uh, two runs on what was really the decisive touchdown drive where he looked like the old Todd Gurley. Then there's a third down where he has one man to beat. He has to use that vision and patience that we've seen out of him. He does it. The Panthers, you know, go right back down the field, cut it to three again. What do they do? They just hand the ball to Todd Gurley two more times, and he closes out the game. And I think for a team that came into the week with offensive line questions and Gurley questions, are loving winning what was sometimes an ugly game. But our two teams, I think, are really talented, and winning on the road is pretty special. Can I ask you a question? I, that's that's good for the Rams. And if, if I look at a bright spot for the Panthers, we talk, we're throwing around best running back in the NFL right now. Is it me or does Christian McCaffrey, I, it's talked about a lot in fantasy, but in real life, I feel like he's not brought into this discussion enough. Well, that's because of Greg. 200 plus total yards, 10 catches, 81 through the air, 19 rushes at 6.7 for carry with two touchdowns. I thought what it was, more does this guy need to do? He's a superstar. I thought it was one of, if not the best game he's ever played which is is a strong statement because he's had other stat lines like this. But I felt like he, a lot of this was on his own. And I, I, we used we always joke about, you know, whether he can run between the tackles. That was the question going into <laughs> yes. the last year. But I don't know. I think he might be going to another level of his ability to run between the tackles because he ran That's over you. a couple people, including on the goal line, a play that really reminded me of Alvin Kamara, where he showed great balance. He took. Uh, a strong tackle at the two yard line and then just kept driving his legs forward. He had 
I don't know what the percentage is. It's over 60% of the team's yards. I mean, they, they were held to 343. He, he had 210 himself. What was the old Dion Jordan line? It looked like somebody inflated his shoulder pads. <laughs> right. He's a big boy. He looks like a Chris He-Man McCaffrey. figure. Um, <laughs> you know, Cam Newton averaged about six yards attempt, uh, didn't throw a touchdown. How did he look? I thought he looked good in the first half. The, the Panthers outplayed him. Uh, the Rams and were down by 10 at halftime and Newton kind of seemed like he was getting rid of the ball quickly, did not play that great in the second half. Their offensive line, I thought was a problem. We, we keep saying this in every game, but their communication, it's a lot of new guys or guys in different places. They were missing Greg Little, who had a concussion as well. And there were a lot of plays where Wade Phillips and the Rams front did stunts and they just like were not picking up the right guy. Like, Christian McCaffrey was trying to block Dante Fowler or Clay Matthews just got in free with no one blocking him. And they just seemed like they were all scrambled. And it was a good day for Wade. And so Curtis Samuel, three for 32. And they said that Cam Newton didn't even try a deep shot downfield. Are you there, were there two, anything going on with it? With it wasn't arm? deep, but there were two plays to Samuel where he could have had a much better fantasy day. And those were two throws that Newton missed. They were touch throws. No, he, his arm looked strong. He had a he had a third and long out across the field that looked like vintage cam, but it, it wasn't his best game. I see three rushes for negative two yards. I guess he's just a little bit of a different player now, or maybe they're just working him in slowly. That's I remember a, that happening last year. That's too. a really good point. They didn't even sniff trying to run a, do a called run for him at all, which is a very different Cam Newton than we saw in the past. It was also the quietest and Aaron Donald game I've ever seen. Just mm. about, and and they still win. It like the, there's no offense in the first half, a lot in the second. And if people like me were wondering if the Rams were going to do some different stuff this year, they didn't. I mean, they played those three receivers every single, <laughs> every single down. Basically, they didn't play Daryl Henderson, the rookie, at all. They, they, Malcolm Brown got good run as as Gurley's. They were one of the teams that we needed to see a regular season game from to put some of these off season questions and narratives. These two teams, it. put it away. These two teams kind of look like two teams that are already. Okay, these are the teams we see. They're kind of what we expect, and I think they're both going to be good. Brian Burns looked good for the Panthers. All right, let's move on. We have our first tie of the season. Murray in the gun. Cardinals down 24-22. Johnson now wide to the right, so it's an empty backfield. Cardinals can tie it here. Shotgun snap. Murray back to pass. Throws to the left. It is caught by Kirk into the end zone, and we're tied at 24. Some Murray magic down the stretch for Arizona. Never a doubt. <laughs> Dave Pash, and you know him. He's the Wolf fan, Ron Wolfie of the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Kyler Murray rallied the Cardinals back from 24-6 down to force overtime. Uh, that's the two-point conversion you just heard. Uh, and Arizona and Detroit traded OT field goals. A 27-27 tie. Kiss your sister. Doesn't feel good, does it? Nobody likes to kiss their sister. Murray and Kingsbury um, looked completely lost for three quarters, Wes. Uh, but then they got it going. Their longest gain late in, by late in the third quarter was 12 yards. Cliff Kingsbury said the first half was one of the worst displays of offensive football he's ever seen. Kyler Murray had four batted passes in this game. Kirk Cousins led the NFL last year with 17 all season. So this is mm. an issue. Then again, the Lions let the Cardinals back in the game. Kyler Murray looked great in the fourth quarter in overtime, and he showed, I believe, uh, impeccable touch and accuracy on a couple of deep balls. To me, the turning point in this game 
was Larry Fitzgerald on a play that nobody saw because they hadn't tuned into the game yet, sold out for a ball. Unbelievable. 30 yards downfield when they could not move the ball at all. He just absolutely sold out on a dive like he's been doing for 15 years, and it brought life to the Cardinals. It gave his quarterback confidence, and is Larry Fitzgerald doing Larry Fitzgerald? It was such a quintessential diving Fitzgerald play where he goes all out, belly flops, his two elbows hit the turf first. He holds onto the ball because he never drops the ball, and he makes a big play when the team needs him most. You know, it is a tie, but if I'm a Cardinals fan, and we have a friend, Jason Zumwalt, who we were actually, Dan and I, texting with, where the three of us uh, were discussing... A pact. Like a triple... A pact. Earth removal scenario. But I think Zumwalt and other Cardinals fans should feel encouraged because sometimes a tie is a win because what this did in a way exuberant is it buried a week's worth let they were down 24 to 6 let's say it just had wound up finished right there everyone is telling you that everything that they plan to do this offseason and there and Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury as you call them K1 and K2 is a gigantic disaster and needs to be recycled immediately instead <laughs> all those stories and probably a ton of articles I specialize in this you write the article, you're 1,800 words in, and the game changes, and you've wasted your time, and you've wasted everyone else's that? time. Not anymore. Okay. But I, I'm just saying, like, how many of those articles were being, you know, cooked up by these hot takers, and they're out because they came back and tied the you, game, and there's some out hope. This it was so bad. The performance was so bad through two and a half quarters that even if you're a fan in the back of your mind, you're thinking, is Kyler Murray too short? He is a is Cliff guy. Kingsbury in over his head? Have we drafted a quarterback in the first round two years in a row that will not click in NFL circles? There were Cardinals fans tweeting me, I guess we'll be drafting another quarterback number one overall next year. Wow, these are, this is, yeah, this is week one. And this game especially feels like a week one game where there are two offenses that haven't played under their current coordinators at all. It's a rookie quarterback. And the fourth quarter is so bizarre. You know, I don't know if that's, fatigue or if it's a coaching failure by the Lions or what it is, but it just, you, I want to see these two teams again. It's a massive, massive disappointment. I'm with you, Greg, Lions. but, but they're the Lions. They, they have to stack wins. And you got to win that game when you're up 24, six. No I just want to say though, that the, the, there's a huge portion of NFL fans that are not baked into 18 seasons where they do freak out over week one. And if you Everyone watch your team, out. Patriots but if fans you, are no different. But Everyone we, freaks it's out. Not, week it's to not week. every fan's job to not respond emotionally to week one. It just isn't. It's just, the, they, they go do their work week and they come in. If you see your team get torched, of course, you're going to respond emotionally. I, you're not going to have a stoic approach I, to it. I'm talking about my approach of like what, what these teams are going to be. Like, I, I don't know if this tells us anything about the Cardinals. Like, did they show you anything that was just creative? That's no, different? no, I don't like what, no. I don't like what the lions did down the stretch An 18 point lead. At home. And we talked about this on the preview episode. This is the Lions' upcoming schedule. Home Chargers at Eagles, home Chiefs at Packers, home Vikings. Got to win that game. You have to win this game. This was such an important game. Sometimes, or you don't. Sometimes a week one game. Uh, isn't just one game. It's it can really hurt your season because it sets you off on a really bad trajectory. A loss isn't as bad as you know a tie, uh, a tie isn't as bad as a loss. But this was pretty damn bad if you're a Lions. Patricia's fan. had a few of these types of games. It's it's painful He's because I can't overstate how much the Cardinals were outclassed. It looked like they were in a lower league than the Lions for three quarters. And the one positive for the Lions is they have a stud tight end in T.J. Hawkins, and this guy is the truth. Mm, big game. All right, let's move on. 
First and 20 now from the 44 of the Bengals. In motion is Vanette. Back out to the right side. Russell from the shotgun with Penny in the backfield. Play fake to him. Russell has time. Rolls. Stops. Steve Rabel, the Seahawks Radio Network. Ooh, jaunty. Seahawks Radio Network, Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, 44 yards to pay dirt. First play of the fourth quarter. The Seahawks withstood a career day from Andy Dalton in a 21-20 victory uh, at the clink. Is it still the clink? It's still the clink, right? It'll always be the clink. Okay, good. Dalton threw for 418 yards. That is a career high. John Ross caught, caught two touchdowns. How about that, Wes? Uh, but uh, the Seahawks were able to hold on and get it done. Uh, Mark, not the most dominant effort. I think people predicted the Seahawks winning this one going away, but they won. If I'm not mistaken, I believe in Greg's picks column. Did you get the exact score to this game? Or am I, am I, I thought you, you, you had this Greg. very tight. Goose said that, uh, our social media friend. I didn't confirm it. I had a one point win. I know that for the Seahawks. Well, you. I would say you came closer than most. And, I, and I've been really rough on, on the Bengals, and I would look at them right now. And this, again, we get it. A lot can change. But in a tough environment against a team that is, has never lost a game in September at home since 2010, the Bengals showed up, number one on defense. I thought that they played one of the best. And they were good on defense before the injuries hit last year. And they seemed to me to be come in, and it was guys like Carlos Dunlap, Nick Vigil, Drake Kirkpatrick played a great game. Sam Hubbard, they put the, they put the clamps on Seattle early. And Andy Dalton, obviously someone that historically, you know, the ceiling, we've put it right at the middle of the league, at the, the Dalton line, and everyone's kind of surpassing him. I, I think that with Zach Taylor, I saw a completely different player in one area. Mm. He got rid of the ball quickly in this game, and suddenly he winds up with 418 yards and two touchdowns. And it wasn't perfect, but they didn't have A.J. Green. And I feel like the benchmark scenario for the Bengals in the past is when A.J. Green's not on the field, Dalton starts to do Dalton things and the team melts. There was a scenario here, three drives in a row, where I think they gave the game away. If you're, if you're Cincinnati, there was in a pouring rain, Dalton lost the ball on a windup. Then they had Randy Bullock miss a field goal he should have hit. And then Gio Bernard got stuffed on downs when they should have scored points. There are three red zone drives in this game where the Bengals came away with no points. That hurt him a lot. And then Russell Wilson and you got DK Metcalf, who wound up with 89 yards and a big 42-yarder that set up a Chris Carson catch and run for a touchdown. And he had another big leaping grab. You saw his size and his ability as an athlete made a difference in this game. Seattle threw a lot of weird weather. It was pouring rain at one point, and I loved it. I love seeing this insane. It was kind of like you've been there in the summer when you get caught out in the woods, and then just suddenly the rain is on you, and all your clothes are soaking wet, and you have no idea where your house is. That kind of rain. And then suddenly it's like a bright sunlight two minutes later. I have later. no idea the scenario you it, just I'm just out. saying it was it's a It's been fantastic. a while. We live in Los Angeles. But yes, it was, it, it was a where cool game I? where the, I thought the elements played a factor at one point. And, you know, this was not the greatest Russell Wilson game of okay. all time. They, they, put, they put a lot of pressure on him, but they fought out in Cincinnati. 
Cincinnati with a few less, with close out a few more drives, and this is not the team that I thought they were that's going to go 4-12 and 12 and get smacked every week. What an encouraging game. What are you game. laughing about? It oh, was no, encouraging. That was, that was quite an impressive filibuster by Mark there. What? <laughs> well, no, because you know what? Here's the thing. Because sometimes on, in football games, you can't see the rain. Way, the way the <laughs> right. camera angle is, they had the I camera. Think he, thought, he was talking more of the whole thing. But well, yeah, no, the but they had the right. camera at field level, and Dalton at one point is just standing there, and you can see each individual it was raining. downpour <laughs> drop. And I thought it was a cool cinematography. It did ignite your love of football after the early game. <laughs> that is important. I, it cha- I love any game. It changed what I thought about the Bengals. I know I've been you to said I'm a Bengals them. fan now. They made well, me a fan for a little bit. Well, they Ryan Young certainly outclassed the other team. From Ryan Young, one of our producers for NFL Network downstairs. Um, is Huge Ryan Bengals a producer? Fan? Yep. Yes. He he really got after you over some comments you've made on this podcast about Cincinnati being a low rent organization. I called them a mom and pop, basically a mom and pop corner store selling, you know, 99 cent noodles and, and he took $4 this, red wine. He didn't like he that. He took this Sunday with the Browns travesty as a chance to get even. And I, I saw the rage in your eyes. No, you know what? That was early like, though. It's, <laughs> it is every Sunday in our newsroom. Someone's going to come up and take a shot or they do the thing. So sorry. What happened? <laughs> That's like, almost I mean, worse. But you know what? He, I deserved it because I had been ripping into his team all summer and they showed up today. I noticed all those names you listed on defense. They were on Marvin Lewis's defense last year when they were terrible. Mm. And the offensive line, we thought they were tattered. No A.J. Green. This has to be, for this coaching staff, if you're a Bengals fan, you are truly encouraged to put on that kind of yeah. performance. I was going to say, I know it's not it's not the Legion of Boom in Seattle anymore, but he played. On what, the road. Dalton played a, a 10 years. Career with, uh, high. A, a, a 10 years with Marvin and never threw for 410 yards yep. without A.J. Green there. Absolutely. But I think that, and they should be, we had, we had no idea what we we're going to see from either side of the ball from Cincinnati. Seattle talked about how they'd be tough to prepare for because their defensive coordinator is uh, Lou Anarumo who I think we've mentioned Ooh. about three times what a fun uh, since name. he's been hired. Uh, and they were good on both sides. That said, I think Bengals fans, if there was a Bengals fan that was a host of this podcast, they'd be saying, same old Bengals. Yeah, this stop was so I know, raising I know. Them. They were just saying heartbreak because until the fourth quarter, this was a this was similar in dominance, in yardage, as any beatdown in the entire NFL. 356 yards at one point the Bengals had to 125 for the Seahawks. They were beating them like a drum. They were physically dominated them, and you would love to come away with well, the Well, I point, it's those, to me, it was it, the defense held up as long as they could because you're always going to get the Russell Wilson surge near the end. It was the offense not closing those drives. But we talked about this team as a three or four win outfit with no hope, and I see the opposite Going forward, we'll see. For the record, Greg, there will never be a Bengals fan as a host of this podcast. Well, who knows? What if we're all? What if like we pass it on? It's, to it's our, Greg's our like inner conscious coming out of the Freudian thing again. <laughs> what? You know, somebody else, not me, will be hosting. I said if there was. I meant like in another universe where one <laughs> of us was a Bengals fan. But if you wanted to, you know, spin it forward, what yeah. if? Uh, you know, Johnny Wesseling, uh, who takes over in 2042, uh, decides he likes the Bengals. I can assure you that no Wesseling will be a Bengals fan on this podcast. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. Controlling father alert. <laughs> Foreboding. And here they are. Ford on one point. side, Bosa on the other. Buckner and Armstead inside. Winston drops out of the shotgun. Ford and Bosa all over. Intercepted. McKellar Witherspoon going back. Interceptions they have last year? They had two. two. They out- How many pick six they have today? 
two. Two on opening day and a third interception by Nazachu earlier in the game. Two pick sixes in one day. Greg Papa and Tim Ryan of the 49ers Radio Network. Yes, Richard Sherman and Akello Witherspoon return two uh, interceptions for touchdowns. Uh, by Jameis Winston. Robbie Gould hit three field goals. The Niners, 31-17 win over the Bucks on Sunday. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in his first game back from ACL surgery threw for a buck 66 and a touchdown. He looked okay. He also threw a pick six. But to me, the story of this game was Jameis Winston, uh, Bruce Arians, of course, and his, his Bucks debut. There's this idea that it will be Arians that gets Winston over the hump and perhaps that will happen because this is just one game. But on Sunday, this looked just more of the same. Winston looks good sometimes. Other times he looks reckless and his mistakes kill his team. And that's why this Bucks team has not won in the years that Jameis Winston has been there. I think that's the most disappointing way to start, you know, with a new coach or a new season is when you just keep repeating the same mistakes that you had just got to be old cleaner or the old season because the the bucks defense did a great job they prevented the they kept the 49ers to 256 yards and they scored seven points on their own so you can't ask for a better performance of the bucks defense Jameis winston lost the game with those throws i know that for most of the game the 49ers offense didn't look that impressive did their defense look good you know, it get, it gets kind of they, they look fine. I don't think it was a, a great effort on either side of the ball, really. I don't think it was, it was an incredible showing by the Niners. Uh, I think. Sorry for uh, giving you this game, by the way. Thanks for falling on that grenade. I had to. Somebody had to take it. I want to tell you something about I want to tell you something about this game. In the first half, there were four fumbles, two interceptions, one block punt, four touchdowns negated by penalty. That You don't see that. Every day or ever preseason week five. I believe it might have been five fumbles. Four, four touchdowns fumbles. negated by penalty. Cameron Braid had two on one, two great touchdowns on one uh, drive. Yes, negated. and George Kittle had the other two. It's <laughs> crazy, uh, unbelievable, and uh, twelve total penalties in the first half. It was a very sloppy game, uh, and neither team, to me, jumped out and flashed as a team to get wildly excited about at this stage. Uh, but I, I guess that was just the storyline for me that. Winston, what it would have really been nice for Winston here in week one would have been to have a, a game where he, he just plays, like I said, a clean game, makes good decisions, doesn't put his team behind the eight ball, doesn't uh, have turnovers that change the complexion of the game. And he, it was like we were watching the same guy over the past like three the years. The thing that we said about Tampa Bay was you know, you're coming off a season or two where from a yardage standpoint, how could you at best, please try to match what Todd Munkin and Dirk Cutter did, where you are pouring out 400 yards a game. There were mistakes, so come on, Bruce Arians, reduce the Jameis Winston mistakes and keep the production from guys like O.J. Howard and Chris Godwin, who we've been talking about for 90, 120 days. He's held to 53 yards. I mean, Jameis Winston, Blake Bortles' level turnover scenario over the past couple of years – I, to me, I this guy's p- playing for his future. I don't know why you'd possibly, if this continues, oh, sure. go into next year with the same thing. Well, of course, he's 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 uh, on the last year of his contract, and he's going to need to have a a good year, a very good year, to come back. And so far, he hasn't shown that that's going to happen. This is one of the rare, or almost the only, Forty ers win under Kyle Shanahan where the defense led the way. So, if nothing else, 
that that I know it was ugly, but that's a positive. Bosa got a sack, Armstead got a sack, D Ford got a sack. So some of the guys they they picked up showed up and they move on, needing better Jimmy G play. How about we move on? All right, before we get to Sunday Night Football, the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers, let's talk about a former Steeler who is now a New England Patriot. We, uh, yeah, we didn't get a chance, obviously, to break this down uh, over the weekend when it broke on Saturday. Uh, but yes, after, and we don't need to go into the soap opera that led to the end of Antonio Brown with the Raiders. We all know it was a disgrace the way it all played out. Brown gets his release, and then uh, a short time later, he signs with the New England Patriots, a one-year deal worth up to $15 million including a $9 million signing bonus, $10 million guaranteed, and $5 million in incentives. And uh, as we record this, the Patriots have their Sunday night football game well in hand against the Steelers. And uh, it seems like everything is going very well for New England once again on the throne of ease. But one thing that they lost, and I can tell you this because if you saw our text chain on Saturday afternoon, one thing they lost in this was Chris Wessling. Wes, you're very upset about this. Uh, share your thoughts about the move. I find it repugnant. The whole thing from the Raiders angle with Antonio Brown to the Patriots it, brushing aside everything Bill Belichick has ever believed about team building to sign this guy who has done more to undermine the team concept than any football player I've ever seen in my life. I find it repugnant. The Patriots waited for Drew Rosenhaus to bait the mother mongoose out of the hole they slithered up to the nest, they unhinged their ravenous jaw, and they swallowed Antonio Brown whole. I love it. And to Jacked this point, in my veins. the NFL has no issue with the snake entering the den. They have no idea how to, how to deal with this brand of social media sabotage that Antonio Brown unleashed to get his way, to get out of a contract that made him the highest paid receiver in football. Uh, and, and I think a strong leader in the NFL would investigate how this happened these actions and put a premium on in integrity and competitiveness. Think about if you're the Steelers, by the way, and Greg, you're going to get your side of this, of course, as well. And Mark, you could chime in as well. Think about from the Steelers perspective, they own the rights to Antonio Brown, Brown, the player. They could no longer deal with him. His personality was such that uh, they, they had to part ways. They believed with the best wide receiver in football and they had the control of his contract. So they send him via trade to the Raiders and that's where it just feels – I'm thinking about it from a Steelers perspective how this all now works out, that you – the one thing you have left is you could decide where to send this guy. And the one place, obviously, you would never send him is the Patriots. And Antonio Brown, by sheer force of will – and I know we, we tend now in the media and fans to always side with the player whenever there's any type of contract dispute. But, but to me, this showed me when, when this can go wrong. And I think that I agree with Wes uh, in, the, in the sense that this didn't feel right. This did not pass the smell test that he is now a member of the Patriots. And a lot of people. But if he was a member of the Browns, then it'd be fine. It wouldn't matter. Like if he because he was going to sign with no. some team. He had multiple teams that were interested. I don't think I, from Seahawks. my perspective, I don't think you should be able to through just abhorrent behavior and doing everything that's against what it should be to be a professional. I don't care what industry you work in and then allowed be allowed to get your way the way he did here. And uh, I, I'm not as down on the Patriots from this, the stance of um, what an ugly thing to do. I think it's more on, on Brown's side, the way this worked out and how he gets what he wants and everybody else gets left hanging except for your Patriots. 
I, I just wonder, though, it's it's not like he had a master plan to make less money and and lose his job with the Raiders. I mean, I don't think that was I don't Can think we talk about the Chris Mortensen report. Sure, that he that he sought out social media experts to find out how to gain his release. Right. From so the that Raiders. was so that at the at the point that we got to what late last week where things had already gone pretty sour between him and the Raiders. And really, it's just from from his side. At that point, Chris Mortensen reported that he contacted a social media expert, basically, you know, wanted to use social to maybe get booted off the team, which is wild. It's unprecedented. The, the video that he did where Gruden is talking was like the production value was incredible. The fact that he put Gruden's voice on it, it's just Almost mind numbing. I just feel like hey, well, we're, it's also wiretapping interactions. Right, we're we're, lo- we're like we're living we're living in the Truman Show. But here's the reason why the league isn't gonna look at anything because the Raiders at this point are happy with the result that they don't have to pay him anymore. They're not happy with how I, I every. Don't, I don't care about that. Right, I'm talking about the integrity of the game. But what would you? What could you stop? You can't stop. You a, cannot allow this guy to go wherever he wants. You cannot allow. An hour after he's released, Drew Rosenhaus has an agreement with the Patriots. It's it stinks to high heavens. The Patriots tried to give up a first round pick for this guy, and the Steelers said, "No, you're our rival. We're not going to do it." So they find a workaround. I don't believe he ever had any intention thought, of working for working. But it's not for like the, the Patriots are those social media experts. It's not like the Patriots had anything to do with whatever is going on with Antonio Brown in his own life or with the Raiders or his interactions. You don't know that. You don't know what they've been saying to Drew Rosenhaus behind the well, scenes. Well, to be fair, I mean, when sure, you, but you don't but, either. But no, 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 I don't just throw out random we're say accusations. That, no, if we're going to say it's that not it's not random it's at a, all, if it's a leap to question some of the timing elements here, then it's also a leap to say that the Patriots are just this sort of innocent flower that that Antonio Brown lands in their lap. They're absolutely complicit. I would I, love to know if I for, forget the wiretapping stuff they put on John Gruden, which by the way is a California yes. law that was broken, which the Raiders because they got, because they don't want to deal with it anymore, going to let that fly, and that's fine. That's almost humorous at this point. But I would love to be a fly on the wall to understand everything that was said between Drew Rosenhaus and the Patriots and when it was dating said. back and when it was said because the timing is so convenient and so quick and it was so expedited and you've got video of Antonio Brown running out and jumping around his pool because he did get his wish. We can use the money thing. He wanted money. You can say that he... At that point, he obviously wanted out. He didn't... Whatever the organization... And we talked about it. and, And this is why I'm not overly worried. I didn't have a strong feeling of them adding Antonio Brown positive or negative. Just Ow! What do you mean? I mean, how? It's disgusting. Like, how are you a Patriots fan and you have no issue with a guy who went AWOL in the most important game of the year for the Steelers and then just did this to the Raiders? I don't. And you're fine selling your soul for this. No, I don't. I don't like the Patriots because I think they have a higher higher moral standard than other teams. I look at. What's the breaking point? What what would you say? Hey, I don't want my team doing this. I don't. I don't know. I guess I don't understand. Why does Antonio Brown cause this outrage compared to a lot of other players that are on the Patriots? No, but I'm saying that are on the Patriots right now that are on the Chiefs. The Tyreek Hill. No, no, no. no. Hey, there are different types of types of character issues. There are off field issues. And people mix this up all the time. And then there is team. Right. And this guy has undermined team and it doesn't bother you. Well, here's why I think Bill Belichick probably decided that it was worth the risk because it obviously is a risk that he's not the Raiders. He's not John Gruden and Mike Mayock running a Mickey Mouse 
operation, it may be in their mind or whatever. It, he's saying, I've taken in players before. I have a quarterback. None who have done what Antonio Brown has done. I have done. a quarterback who's, you know, the greatest of all time, is a great leader, who says I'm a million percent in that wants Antonio Brown on the team. That I, and as a fan, I'm, I like just watching football. I don't like watching the Patriots because I've never believed that they are somehow better than other teams, that they've had a lot of characters go through that team that are unsavory, just like every other NFL team. So that's why I don't really understand the, why does Antonio Brown cause as much just outrage. As a, okay. Because of what he's done to the team concept in a team sport. You grew up playing tennis. It's not but a team sport. I get it, but it's, it's football. Like to me, it's not that it, I agree. He's been a bad teammate, right? But it's not that serious to me. If he's been a bad teammate, I watch it because they're fascinating to watch as a football operation. I love the sport. I love the way they game plan every week. And to me, Antonio Brown is a fascinating player. And to see him on that team it's ob- it's going to be interesting. And here's what I would go with in terms of Antonio Brown. He's been in the NFL a long time. All this nonsense has happened uh, in really expedited and ramped up since the end of last season. Uh, oh, no, there's the- reports that the, sure, the it Steelers have been dealing with this since My point is he's been in the NFL a long time. And when you go through all those years, there's production in all of those years. Nobody's and arguing so- and because Bill Belichick to me, and look, a lot of Patriots fans weren't happy about this. Our friend Burke, our producer, Erica Tamposi, they hate the idea. And I oh, say, well, they'll be fine with it in two weeks. And I so. say, I say Bill Belichick to me has earned the benefit of the doubt that he can integrate people into the team or he'll get rid of them quickly. So let's right. Let me just, from my perspective, He's put just a, a bow on it. My, my hope now is that. Antonio Brown becomes the Trojan horse that destroys the Patriots, <laughs> that all this this ego, the, the Patriots out of this belief that we could take anyone and fix them. Even someone who might be, let's keep it real, uh, have some mental issues because there's a lot of evidence pointing to that, that the, just because the Patriot way will take hold and fix him. If there are football gods, Antonio Brown will keep up his act and the Patriots will uh, live to regret this. My fear is, and the fear of many, many football fans is that what will actually happen is Antonio Brown will become a perfect soldier for the next four it, months, catch 115 balls, and the Patriots will go 18-0. and 0. I, That I is just, the fear here. I don't here. think the football gods, and guys, I totally, I listen to everything you said, I don't think the football gods, based on everything the Patriots have done, uh, that have offended various people for various reasons from Belichick day one till now, are that upset about this. I don't think that they're going to be quite as appalled by this situation as some of us are. Bottom right. line, I don't think they view it that way. And I don't think, th- I don't I mean, know. there's no such thing as football gods. Okay, but I think you see, in general, if we're going to you're, point, if we're going to point to them. You're with the football gods, too. I just, I don't, I don't think, Same I don't, the, I don't view Antonio podcast. Brown as a home run Trojan horse in this situation because there, there have been characters that have gone into right. New England, either he produced or been let go quickly. I know, I know, you know, they, you're saying the worst hope is that they fix him or they change. They don't. It's not like they change anyone. He's he's the person who he is. They're just playing a team sport. And can he can he act in the way that they want their players to act? There's going to be a lot in the building, a lot of pressure on him to basically get in line. And they've done it before. And if it doesn't happen, I think they they'll just cut him and move on. Like it's not like. Uh, to me, it's still just football. It's not that serious. And when we're talking about a sport where we're giving contracts... Ask, ask Mike Mayock if it's serious. Ask Derek Carr if it's serious. I get it, but but look at some of the players on that team. Look at what some of the players on that team have done throughout their careers and are allowed he to He embarrassed continue. Mike Mayock. Called him a cracker, reportedly. 
And no, yeah, I mean, oh, hey, uh, good. My Patriots signed him. That's fine. It's only football. <laughs> it's not right. that. It's just like it's incredibly right. disrespectful. Let's stick a pin in this. To Let's Mike stick Mayer. a pin in this. <laughs> uh, I knew there was going to be fireworks. I told Bartlett behind the glass, we're going to hit this topic. Greg and Wes are going to go at each other. We're just going to try to stay out of the way. I don't feel like I'm going at anything. And I mean, then it's hard to, to argue with nihilism. What can you do? <laughs> um, but obviously, it's a, uh, an interesting topic, and we will be tracking it. At the Patriot 42. Brady backs up, stands in. He's going to throw a long ball to a wide open door set. He's going to hit him in stride at the 15, <laughs> to the 10, to the 5. Touchdown, Patriots! You could come in this building. You could go home and tell everybody, hey, we Freaking strike right well, down yeah. the gut. The guy nobody talks about. All this kid does keep working. And you strike for 58 yards. Start the buses. <laughs> Bob Sochi and uh, Scott Zolak, the Patriots Network. Some things change, some things don't. Tom Brady throws three touchdown passes. Philip Dorsett scores two touchdowns. Patriots destroy the Pittsburgh Steelers 33 to three at Foxborough on Sunday night football. Um, again, again, yeah, you predict things on Thursday and think you're smart. And then Sunday comes around and it's a disaster. I, I thought that this was going to be a great game. I thought this would have been a great way to punctuate a great Sunday of football and the Patriots just embarrassed the Steelers. And I know this is uh, um, has long been the story of this quote unquote rivalry that the Steelers always are on the short end of it. Uh, but Mark, th- what surprised me was just how easy this was. Ben Roethlisberger and Pittsburgh's offense uh, had no answers for New England's defense and the Patriots offense just cruised along as if nothing has ever changed because it seems like nothing ever will. It's not a rivalry. I, I'm tired of hoisting up these matchups as rivalries because Pittsburgh has never taken down New England in any game that actually had high consequences. Had have absolute high consequences. That, that's, if that's the highest consequence where Pittsburgh punctured New England on 11, week 15 last year, and then where do those teams wind up? I mean, you, you, you've got to be kidding me because in general, New England has punched around the Steelers left and right, and this tonight is about as embarrassing a loss as Pittsburgh could have pictured coming into this year. And there were high hopes again. And, you know, we're another team. We've talked on this podcast tonight about three or four teams sabotaged because of offensive line injuries where players are gone and your quarterback looks one-eighth of what he should and your entire offense has lost its flow. And the Patriots lose a center, a very valuable part of their offense. And for years on straight, they've lost offensive linemen left to right. Tom Brady, this evening, sacked once for seven yards, throws for 341 yards and three touchdowns. And this is to go, not to get back into this whole thing, but we talk about Trojan horses and teams crumbling from the inside if you're New England because you make this choice or pull that lever. No. Well, you're, you're talking about two different things now. I'm not. Organizationally, the Patriots are never going to crumble. That, that we know. So th- when I brought up the Trojan horse, I mean just bringing in someone as destructive as Antonio Brown has been to his last two teams. That's a different conversation. We'll see how destructive he is. But in general, but, the, the Patriots mask over their perceived roster flaws better than any team and on any sport in this country. And they do it year after year. And Greg, I understand what you're saying that there is a competition between the Steelers, but if that is the high watermark of when Pittsburgh, 
you know, vandalize New England, then it is not a rivalry. <laughs> no, they, it is not a rivalry. No, and I'm it, not going to listen to it anymore. It's not. I'm, I'm not going to listen to well, it. Well, no one's talked it up as some great rivalry. It's been one-sided. I'm just it's saying. It's a joke. That was, that was a good performance by this. A lot of fire at the end of the podcast. Well, because, because like, okay, well, let's you guys just, are furious about no, it. No, you know what? It's not fair Patriots. that Greg constantly has to defend something that he is not a part of either. Right. But at the same time, let's he not. doesn't have to defend well, it. Well, right. Enough with the straw men. There is, this is not a rivalry. If this is what the, the, the Steeler, if anyone in Pittsburgh considers this a rivalry, of course they, they need to look at themselves in the don't. mirror. No one expected this performance. No one expected Josh Gordon, after not seeing him too much in camp, to have that sort of uh, performance where he, he tosses Joey Hayden aside. For Philip Dorsett to have a great game. For Julian Edelman, who wasn't around that much, I guess we, we could expect that. Isaiah Wynn was a big factor in this game at left tackle. They lost their right tackle at the end of the game. Marcus Cannon, that is their thinnest position on the roster, so we'll see if that ends up being a factor. But it's a total disaster for the Steelers, especially, well, I wouldn't even say especially, well, both sides of the ball, but uh, offensively, I'm not that shocked that the Patriots uh, shut the Steelers down. I think the Patriots defense has a chance to be the best Patriots defense since 2004. And there's nothing they did tonight that'll change it. They're so advanced in terms of the intelligence that they have in the secondary and in the linebacker group that Belichick, who's really taken a, a, a strong hand in this defense, is going to be able to change up his strategy from week to week. And you saw it. And this was a tough spot. Patriots got helped out by the schedule makers getting a big game like the Steelers on this opening night when they when they raised the six at home. The right. Steelers also. Well, you're going to get it at home to raise your sixth banner and open. Well, that makes week. sense. The Steelers, <laughs> Steelers, Steelers lost in every way conceivable in this game. They even lost in the injury battle. Because, yes, yes. Marcus Cannon suffered what looked like an arm injury. Looked really serious at first. He came off the field. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, the right tackle, the Pats. But Marquise Pouncey, uh, Steelers center, knee injury. We'll see what's going on there. TJ Watt, their expert uh, pass rusher, hip injury. We'll see what's going on with that. Juju Smith-Schuster. He limps off with an ankle injury late in the game. Um, we talked about earlier in the show that the Jaguars had maybe the worst week one, um, and that will be hard to top considering you lose your quarterback. But the Steelers are not far behind because remember, if, uh, and I'm not going to use the R word, Mark, but if the Steelers and the Patriots are both going to be fighting for playoff positioning and hypothetically a bye down the line, don't forget now, Patriots have the tiebreaker. So now, Steelers have to be one game better than New England. Uh, it, this is a week one game with big ramifications, not to mention the psychological ones of New England just toying with an opponent this this Sunday night. It was not even close. Not even close. From, from the jump, the Patriots absolutely whipped ass. So maybe New England will, you know, they've gotten Miami next week. You can go find oh out boy. how you measure up against your former uh, defensive coordinator now down in South Beach, undermining that organization from the ground up. It, it's a long season. I'm not saying that that they're going to struggle. It will be different if they come out of the gates flying. Like it's been a few seasons since we've seen that from the yeah. Patriots. Um, you know, we certainly saw it in 2007. We've seen we've seen it in other seasons from the Patriots. So they can take different routes, but it's a very deep team and it's still it's still uncanny to me to see Brady now that he's a year older, he's 42 years old looking that Brady like and for the Steelers to have coverage busts that reminded me so much of the 2016 AFC Championship game I was at, I believe, where they went up and down the field and just outcoached the Steelers. Or 2016 Bethel High School. <laughs> An ominous start. If you're a fan that does not want the Patriots to be a dominant presence, 
This is an ominous start this week. I don't want them to be any presents. Oh, you're not going to get the your one thing. thing they lost this weekend was Chris Wessling. Okay. All right. All right. Good stuff, guys. Uh, week one uh, recap in the books. The next time, and remember, this is streaming um, on YouTube. Uh, so you could check out our, our Twitter handles and and we are um, uh, we'll send the link out and you could check this video out, uh, this podcast out, if you please. And uh, we'll be back Tuesday on our schedule, Sunday night, Tuesday night, early Friday, dropping with the preview pod. So check that out. Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss. Fire. All sorts of friends behind the glass. Ryan Bartlett and company. Thank you so much. Till Tuesday. Right on cue. Get over that wall. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com you know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.